Business and Buckets, we are live, baby, episode 71, cranking out the content, it's a Friday afternoon, a little behind on the pod this week, you know, there's war going on, uh, coming back after the ski trip, new role, rebranding the pod, lots of things in the gas tank, but I'm not missing the content this week as we got a good UFC card coming up this weekend, we're going to talk some NFL free agency you know we have some college basketball as March is right around the corner and Supercross and more. So before we talk sports, though, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements. The Business at Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. So if you guys are an elite athlete on the go um, or are looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you guys covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Again, you're buying supplements. You find yourself going to GNC. You're getting your sub stack from these corporate chains. Try FueledSupplements.com. Quit helping the rich or get rich. Let's help the small business owners. Let's help your friends' businesses. That's what it's all about. I know I'm excited to hit the slopes this weekend. We got some new snowstorms out here. And, you know, it might be the end of the season soon. So I'm trying to get it in while I can. I'm excited to be able to do that. Went to Idaho this past weekend for President's Day weekend, which me and my best friend do a ski trip every year at this weekend because you get the extra day off. It uh, doesn't really matter for me anymore. He's a business owner. He could take his time off as well. But it was always a good time because usually the snow is good. And Schweitzer was a vibe, man. The, the really cool people everywhere I went. I uh, had a good time. Ha- you know, they had a fireworks show there Sunday night. They did a light parade with skiers that are all lit up coming down some fresh groomed runs. Uh, the bars are fun. It was just a fun time. It was nice to get out of the state a little bit, hit the slopes before spring comes around. But other than that, you know, my chest is almost healed up, not doing anything crazy on the slopes, trying to stay safe, Uh, but getting ready to get some golf game going, softball season going, Uh, get active, like to get in jujitsu, you know, better version of myself, Uh, feel good, do good, look good, perform good, everything is good, you feel? Uh, But let's talk about the NFL, there was no games, there is no games, But we're still going to talk about it this week as there is a crazy season of free agency upon us. I talked about this the past few weeks. And there's been some things that have happened around the league, including Brian Flores hired to the Steelers as a defensive assistant and linebacker coach. Uh, Supposedly, he had gone to Mike Tomlin for some advice and mentorship, ended up getting a job offer 24 hours later. And I'm fucking pumped. The, The more that we could get Mike Tomlin's hands out of the pot with making defensive play calls, I think the better. Um, being able to have someone that is as talented and has such a great knowledge as Brian Flores is great. I actually wanted the Steelers to hire him as a defensive coordinator. So the fact that he's still a part of the squad, um, I couldn't be more excited as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You know, I, I bought some swag at the end of the year. Got a little Cam Hayward shirt. Um, Cam's just the fucking man. He is a Steeler through and through. Bleeds black and yellow. And hopefully Stefan Tua and Tyson Alualu come back and the Steelers front seven is nasty next season, uh, but we got a long off season to see what happens. Speaking of off season, Roger Goodell ain't going nowhere. He is most likely to have an extension done here soon. Uh, so he is going to stay as a commissioner of the NFL. 
uh, probably for the next good amount of years. The Chiefs release Anthony Hitchens to free up some space, some cap space. Uh, I don't know what it is about middle linebackers, you know, having a few good years, getting released and going into other teams. But it seems like Anthony Hitchens is just another middle linebacker. Jalen Smith had been a part of that. The Steelers might do it with Joe Schobert. They acquired Joe Schobert for nothing. Um, you know, tough life for a middle linebacker in the NFL these days. And sticking with the Chiefs, they're bringing back Matt Nagy, who got fired from the Chicago Bears. He is going to be hired as an assi as a senior assistant and a QB coach for the Chiefs. Uh, so he gets to be uh, part of, back in the red and white and back in that uh, coaching staff. Ian Thomas, the tight end for the Panthers, getting a three-year, $16.5 million extension with $8 million of that $16.5 guaranteed. So he'll be staying with the Panthers as they're looking uh, to build towards a winning season after a pretty disastrous season this past year. And in the, the analyst boost, there's lots of shakeups going on, especially with Amazon developing their crew. Uh, Troy Aikman surprisingly going to leave Fox for ESPN's Monday Night Crew to be the head of that. Um, supposedly it's going to be a fat contract, a Tony Romo-like contract. And with that, Sean Payton looking and interviewing with Fox to replace Troy Aikman on that, on that, in that booth. I knew that he would end up being a analyst. I knew that he would end up, uh, doing that instead of coaching. It's an easy job. You get paid. You're still around the sport. You still get to travel. Um, makes sense for ex players and coaches at this point in time. Glad I'm not there trying to compete with those guys because I would not have a chance. I know that. But let's talk about free agents. So this year is star-studded. I have pulled up a article by uh, PFF. I love PFF. I think they're, you know, they're very analytic, obviously, but they're very good on their analysis, their predictions. Uh, one that I would respect more so than a lot of others. They talk about their top 50 free agents and who they think would be match uh, a good team to match them with. And we'll talk a little bit about, I have a list of 150 from The Athletic of some other names that, that didn't cut the list. But number one, plain and simple, the Packers have huge moves. A lot will be determined based on what discount double check Mr. Rogers has to do. Uh, but Devontae is a free agent, man. He He's going to demand a, a big amount of money. They are projecting that he'll get a four-year, uh, $93 million contract with $65 million guaranteed. They have him sticking with the Packers. I would say if Rodgers does go back to the Pack, that makes sense. If he doesn't, I don't think he'll stay, uh, but who knows? Their second-ranked uh, free agent is offensive tackle Tron Armstead with the Saints. They have him signing with the Dolphins, three years, $60 million, 43.75 guaranteed. Uh, this man is a stud offensive lineman. There's lots of teams uh, that could benefit from a guy like this. The Dolphins obviously need to keep Tua stood up correctly. Uh, so that definitely makes sense. But I could see him going to a lot of teams as, uh, you know, uh, good tackles and guards are a, a hot commodity around the league. And then they have Chris, Chris Godwin ranked as number three. They have him sticking with the Bucks, four years, 70 million. I do think he sticks with the Bucs, uh, maybe another franchise tag or whatever needs to get done. But there's so much the Bucs have to worry about outside of the draft, right? Tom Brady, is he actually retired? Who's going to fill our shoes at the, in the quarterback room? Uh, there's rumors of Blaine Gabbert and Bruce Arians being on the same page. I mean, who fucking knows what's going on? 
Um, then we have Von Miller with the Rams, staying with the Rams as the number fourth free agent for a two-year, $34 million contract. I know that Aaron Donald's trying to coax the team to get the guys that he wants to come back, and if that's the case, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Do you really want to pay that much of a lump sum to Von Miller at the age that he's at? Um, you know, he's 34 years old. That's a tough, risky one, but the Rams got the chips all in. They won the Super Bowl. Why not keep the chips all in until you get beat? Uh, but we know how hard it is to repeat in the NFL. The Bucks showed that this year. Chandler Jones as number five, signing with the Broncos, two-year, 33 and a half. Uh, he's a little bit younger. Um, he has performed very well. He is going to demand a lot of money, and I could see Denver being a good fit. They have J.C. Jackson sticking with the Patriots as the number six free agent, four-year deal. I don't think there's a way in hell that they get rid of him. They'll pay him what they need to pay him. They have him getting 72 mil. That's a lot of money. But with the Stephon Gilmore exit, I would assume that he stays there, and that does seem like a match made in heaven. Their seventh-ranked free agent, Mike Williams, the guy who had an amazing start to the year. I know oh too well as I had him on my fantasy football team. They're projecting he gets a four-year, $68 million deal to stay with the Chargers. I think that um, with the offense that the coach is running there, that they are not going to want to get rid of Mike Williams. So that makes a lot of sense to me as well. Number eight, they have safety Marcus Williams with the Saints. They have him staying four years, $64.5 million. Uh, the Saints, much like the Bucks, have a whirlwind of things going on. They got to dictate their quarterback situation. They got to dictate the coaching situation, new management, new players, bad contracts, Michael Thomas. I mean, they have a laundry list of things to deal with, and I'm so happy that I don't have to make those kind of decisions. But Marcus Williams is a fucking stud, and I would not be surprised if he stayed there um, because the, the defensive unit really runs the Saints, especially post-Drew Brees. They have number nine, uh, Orlando Brown Jr., who was with the Chiefs, staying with the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs made big moves to that offensive line. It did pay dividends the latter half of the season once they had their unit together. And I would I would not expect them to want to get rid of him. They're saying it's a five-year, $105 million deal. To me, that is a little bit risky. Um, Orlando Brown Jr., five years. I mean, he's 25 years old, so he is young. Boomer sooner, baby. Um, he's going to get paid, though. Are the Chiefs going to want to pay him? That's going to be the question. And the 10th-ranked free agent they have is Allen Robinson. You know he is dying to get into a new team. They have him signing a three-year, $48 million deal with the Dolphins, which to me doesn't make a ton of sense as the Dolphins have a lot of great offensive weapons, uh, a lot of young talent, but you never know. Um, there's a lot of teams you know, in the market for a receiver, so I could see him going to a ton of different op uh, teams. Their 11th-ranked free agent is Jesse Bates III uh, getting a franchise tag with the Bengals. I've seen that the Bengals, you know, there's rumors that they might be hesitant to pay Jesse Bates what he's worth. But if they could pay Trey Waynes, a guy who has injury history, kind of got, you know, pushed away from his previous team, the amount of money, I think it was 40-something million that they did, why would they not pay Jesse Bates? He's just like as impactful as Minka Fitzpatrick with the Steelers, who's going to be up for a contract. Um, I think they have to find a way to keep him there. If they do not keep Jesse Bates, I, I don't see how they can, you know, perform as high as they did this year. But fuck, who knows? I had him as a four-win team. They were in the Super Bowl. So, you know, what the fuck do I know? Number 12, they have Ryan Jensen, the center for the Bucks. This guy is going to be a huge coveted asset, uh, a vet. He's got Super Bowl experience. He's got big game experience. 
They're having him sign with the Bengals for a three-year deal, which would make a ton of sense. I do think the Bengals do try to get uh, linemen via the draft and free agency. Um, Ryan Jensen would be a good guy to give some veteran leadership to that unit, uh, but I could see him to a ton of other places. I wouldn't mind him in the Steelers. I don't know why they have Jadavion so high, but they have him ranked as the 13th overall free agent. They have him sticking on a one-year deal with the Browns. He had a big season this year. They're saying around the $15 million range. And I think a lot of where he goes is going to be based off the draft. I wouldn't expect that he signs before the draft. <clears throat> Number 14, they have Randy Gregory of the Cowboys, who had a pretty good year. He's been in and out of the NFL his whole career. They have him signing with the Colts. Um, he's going to be a guy that's going to get a decent contract and going to be coveted. Um, edge rushers are always coveted. They have Stefan Gilmore at 15, signing with the Cardinals. Um, a, another guy that's going to be coveted a lot of places now that he's fully healthy. Um, I don't think he is a Stefan Gilmore of two years ago, but he is still a stud that can change the, uh, your defensive back end. Another corner and a safety. They have Carlton Davis, 16, Tyron Matthew, 17. They have Carlton Davis to the Jets and the Honey Badger to the Ravens. Um, What's very hard to do as a defensive back is get three big contracts, and that's what the Honey Badger is up for right now, uh, his third contract. So do the Chiefs want to keep him at that age with the performance that they've seen? Um, I think that they're going to do whatever. He's a vocal leader. He builds chemistry in the backfield. He is part of the culture, but they have him signing with the Ravens. That would be a scary sight for me as a Steelers fan, as a lot of the guys that I like to root for sign with the fucking Ravens. Uh, so I really pray that that does not happen. Had some stuff here. Just want to make sure I'm not missing. So basketball and baseball. All right. Uh, 18, they have Brandon Sheriff, another offensive guard that's a fucking G. Uh, could really change the, the course of a franchise. They have him signing a three-year $50 million with the Jets. Uh, but this guy is going to be coveted else, a lot of places. You know, again, a lot of these things are going to be dictated by draft, uh, cap space, you know, what some of the existing guys that they have, decisions that they're going to make with free agents. So it's, it's very hard to predict. That's what I'm giving you. PFS predictions, uh, but this guy's going to be in a lot of places, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, huddles and boardroom sessions. And then OBJ, they have him signing a one-year $14 million deal with the Rams. I wouldn't be surprised if he stays there, especially with injury. You know, it's a bummer to him because he could have got a more longer-term contract, uh, but he's just going from place to place. But he got a, uh, he got a ship. Uh, he was a pivotal part in getting that ship. So, you know, one of the biggest things you could accomplish, he's accomplished. 20, Mike Gusecki, staying with the Dolphins. They love him. He's a stud. He could do do well. Uh, he can block. He can pass or uh, catch. He's physical. He could do a little bit of everything. They're, they have him predicted at a four-year, $55 million contract. Uh, 21, Dalton Schultz. I've seen a lot of this connection of him going to the Jaguars. Uh, he had a real good breakout season this year. And for Trevor Lawrence to have a safety blanket in the middle would be huge. That's why they had gotten... Uh, Dan Arnold late later in the year. So this one completely makes sense. They have him signing a four-year, $52 million deal. 22, they have Emmanuel Ogba, the Dolphins going to the Seahawks. They got Akeem Hicks at 23 going to the Chargers. That would be crazy. Um, Melvin Ingram at 24 going to the Niners. I don't know really what to think about Melvin Ingram. Um, I would expect him going to a contender but they have him getting a one-year $8 million contract. Uh, it may be a little bit less than that because he did not have an amazing year last year with the Steelers or the uh, Chiefs. 25, they have Casey Hayward Jr. going to the Colts. That would be a power move, uh, only a one-year contract. 
Offensive guard Lincoln Tom, Tomlinson leaving the Niners for the Dolphins. 27, Devondre Campbell going to the Broncos. Again, first we got Rodgers, then we got, you know, Devontae and how this team's going to develop. If Rodgers stays, though, I don't understand how they could get rid of Devondre Campbell. Campbell. He's had an amazing season. He's in his prime, uh, but they have him predicted for a two-year $18 million deal with the Broncos, and I'm sure they'd love that. Uh, 28, they have Michael Gallup to the Lions. Um, I have no idea what to expect here. Uh, there's also you know, rumors of Amari Cooper getting traded. If that's the case, they'd probably sign Gallup. Uh, but I'm interested to see what he can do elsewhere. A guy that kind of reminds me of his situation was Galladay. I thought Galladay would have an amazing year with the Giants this year, and fucking nothing happened. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where his career goes from here. They have AB signing a one-year, $4 million deal with the Ravens. I think this is sadly inevitable, and I hate it as a fan of the Steelers, but I almost kind of hope it happens and we get to beat the shit out of them a little bit. 30, they have old man in the middle, Calias Campbell, staying with the Ravens on a one-year. Makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, 31, Hassan Reddick to the Giants. Reddick's been a little bit all over the place. He he seems to be part of that linebacking category of just going from team to team, short-term deals. Um, they have him predicted going to the Giants. The Giants need a lot of help there. So there's lots of options with this situation. They have Dwayne Brown, the tackle of the Seahawks, staying with the Seahawks. Um, as much, much offensive line issues as they've had, that makes a lot of sense to me. But much like the Packers, first, is, is Russell staying or going? If he's staying and Carroll's staying, okay, then we can start figuring things out. If one or the other is leaving, we got to figure out what's what. Um, Harold Landry, the third from the Titans, going to the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons have a lot of free agency, a lot of cap space issues. So you got to start at the top, but this, this would make sense. They have them signing a four-year $60 million deal for uh, a guy who's only 25 years, 25 years old, but that would be a brutal loss for the Titans. Swiss Army Knife, Corderell Patterson at 34 going to the Jets. I mean, I think I don't think he could outperform what he d did this year in Atlanta. I think uh, the new coach coming from t Tennessee was an offensive, you know, schematic genius had put Corderell Patterson in the right situation. I would assume they'd want to keep him, but maybe he wants too much. He could go to a place like the Jets and let his career crumble. That is very possible. They have Gronk at 35 staying with the Bucks on a one-year would Gronk really want to pay, play without Brady? I don't. I just don't see that happening. So, um, in, in my mind, as long as Brady's retired, Gronk is. But I don't think Brady's retired. I don't think we'll know until right before the season. Uh, so it's just that's why this free agency is fucking crazy. Uh, cornerback Darius Williams from the Rams going to the Vikings. Thirty-seven. They have Justin Houston leaving the Ravens to the Eagles. That would be a nice sight for me as a Steeler fan. Does make a lot of sense on a one-year deal. Uh, 38, they have Connor Williams of the Cowboys going to the Cardinals. Um, the Cowboys are going to have to have some cap casualties, so I would not be surprised if they lost Connor. They're projecting a three-year, $20 million deal to the Cardinals. Edge rusher Jerry Hughes of the Bills to the Bengals. Guard James Daniels of the Bears staying with the Bears on a five-year deal. At 41, they have Jameis Winston staying with the Saints in a one-year deal, which is very possible. Um, there's rumors of him going back to Tampa, which would be kind of funny. 42, they have Juju going to the Pats. I really hope that's not the case. They have a prediction of a one-year $8 million deal, most of it guaranteed. I do hope he gets more years. I don't know if that's going to be the case, especially after this year battling injury. 
I just hope he gets put in a position to be successful. If he would in, in New England, I would just hate to see him be there. Uh, 43, David Njoku to the Chargers. 44, Marcus May to the Cowboys. Leaving the Jets, that'd be tough for them. 45, Steven Nelson going to the Falcons. That makes a ton of sense. 46, Ben Jones, guard of Titans, staying with the Titans. 47, corner Charvarius Ward of the Chiefs going to the Pats. 48, DJ Reed Jr. of the Seahawks going to the Eagles. Teddy Bridgewater at 49, going away from the Bucks or Broncos to the Bucks. I wouldn't mind Teddy Bridgewater as a kind of a stopgap one-year guy for the Steelers. I'd rather have him than Mason Rudolph. I think they could win with the team that they have and what they will develop with Teddy Bridgewater. But there's so many things going to happen. There's Marcus Mariota. I mean, the quarterback carousel is going to be crazy, but first there's the draft. And then at 50, they have Christian Kirk going to the Browns, which would be a tough loss for the Cardinals. But time will tell. Time will tell. Now, let me pull up the list of 150 to see what names of interest that just pop up off the top of my head that are also free agents that could be game-changing. So I'm sure majority of the top 50 are the same. I know some of these are completely different in the athletic than PFF, which would be my two most trusted sources. I hate that the athletic got purchased by the New York times, uh, but I'm sure that was a move that budgetary, the athletic didn't have a ton of choices. Uh, BJ Hill's a free agent. He's 27 years old. Derek Barnett of the Eagles is a free agent at 26. Dante Jackson, who I like only 26 years old. He was a second round pick. He's a free agent. Um, a guy that I talked a lot about, um, Foisade Olukin from the Falcons is a free agent. Another issue is the middle linebacker thing. He just kind of, you know, you, you get put in that category based off your position. Kaiser White of the Chargers. He's only 26 years old as a middle linebacker. Um, they have Russell Gage as a free agent. MVS from the Packers is a free agent. Zach Ertz is a free agent at 31. Where, you know, do the Cardinals keep him? That seemed to mesh well. Can they afford to keep him there? Mitchell Trubisky, technically, you know, could fit somewhere. Do I like him very much? No, but he's still, you know, an option for teams. The Steelers might have to consider him. Uh, Gerald Everett, who seemed to fit really well with the Seahawks at 28 years old as a free agent. Will Fuller of the Dolphins, 28 years old. They never really got a chance with him. You know, do they invest in that chance? Maybe they do do an Allen Robinson deal to get a veteran receiver. Uh, playoff Lenny Leonard Fournette at 27 is a free agent. Rajul Douglas, the corner. Justin Reed, the safety. Uh, Jordan Whitehead, a safety. Terrell Edmonds, a safety for the Steelers, who I think they will keep on the team. Uh, Leighton Vanderesh, another middle linebacker casualty, 26 uh, years old. It's so funny as a kid playing NCAA football, the video games, playing high school football, the only level I got to play in person, uh, playing Madden. I always had my players as running backs and middle linebackers. And if I were a parent and my kids wanted to do that, I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking? There is no longevity and a not for long league in those positions. It's brutal on your body. What is going on? And, uh, it's, it's tough to see because guys like Leighton and all these other guys have so much talent and they just don't get the contracts. They don't get the team loyalty. It's brutal for linebackers and running backs these days. Devin McCourty at 35. You know, how much more does he have left of the tank? Do teams want to give him a one year? Nadamakin Sue, one year maybe. He's 35 years old. Jerry Hughes of the Bills, 34 years old. Patrick Peterson, 32. Does he got a little gas in the tank? 
The Steelers with Joe Hayden at 33. I would like a one-year deal, maybe more team-friendly than the past. Would be great. Kyle Fuller at 30. JPP at 33. AJ Green at 34. Anthony Barr at 30. Dante Fowler Jr., who just got released. He's only 28. Quentin Jefferson at 29. Riley Reef at 33. Robert Tanyan, only 28. Tyler Conklin, only 27. Moali Cox, 29. Cam Newton, more quarterbacks. He's 33. Uh, Andy Dalton's 34. I wouldn't expect him to have much more opportunity. Sammy Watkins is only 29. It seems like he's been in the league forever. Cedric Wilson, a big year for the Cowboys. If the Cowboys want to keep him, he's only 26. I do think the Steelers keep Trey Turner, who's 29 years old. One year, get a, a one more year. James Conner, after a big season at 27, I would assume the Cardinals make a push there. Melvin Gordon's only 29. Poor running backs. Xavier Woods, 27, is a safety. Dr. Heithauer is a free agent at 32. Emmanuel Sanders is 35 years old now. He's got to be close to being done. Zach Paschal is only 27. He was a big name at one point. More quarterbacks. You got Jacoby Brissett at 29. Tyrod Taylor at 33. Sheldon Richardson is once again a free agent at 31. Solomon Thomas, who had a great year. He's 27 years old. Jamison Crowder at 29 years old. Ronnie Harrison at 25 years old. Desmond King at 27 years old. Chase Edmonds, who's only 26. OJ Howard, 27. Akello Weatherspoon at one ranked 145 in the athletic rankings. He's only 27. He had a huge season for the Steelers. I hope they find a way to keep him. And that's really the top dogs in free agency. But just speaking about those names, I'm thinking like matchmaking potential. They're, this offseason is going to be bonkers. Um, as a Steelers fan, it's like, holy shit, strap in. What are we about to get into? Who's going to be running the team? What's about to happen? Nobody knows. But we do know that the UFC is fucking throwing down the first quarter of this year. And we got another fight night card this weekend. And we got to review the card from the past week. But outside of that, there are some other things that have gone down and are going down. Including probably the worst news in UFC uh, of the year, in my opinion. Uh, Benil Dariush having to pull out of the Islam Makachev fight this weekend. I'm having some issue at practice. I've heard it was an ankle. I've heard it was uh, a hip. I've heard it's a few different things. But it's a serious injury, which is a total bummer because I, I really like Benel Dariush. I think he's so well-talented everywhere that he's a tough motherfucker and deserves a title shot. And a, a win against Islam would have put him right there. But instead of the main card being completely a disaster, uh, fucking... Bobby King Green st steps in after a great performance. I guess his manager uh, on um, Ariel Hawani's MMA hour was like, called him. He's on vacation. He's like, what the fuck? I just had a fight. You know, he'd been eating all you could eat sushi. He ballooned up and now he has to cut a ton of weight. He isn't fighting the original weight. They are fighting at a catch weight, which is an extra 10 pounds. Uh, but he saves the day. You know, do I think Bobby really has a chance? We'll break that down in a minute. Not really. But it's still going to be a fun fight. At least he saves the card. Bobby fucking King Green. Uh, Nick Maximov already back in the octagon getting a fight booked. He's going to take on Ultimate Fighter alum Andre Petrosky. He did not win the season, but a guy that was very highly touted. I think he was one of the top picks in the Ultimate Fighter and obviously has had a, some fights in the UFC, so the UFC thinks highly of him. 
In the flyweight division, Brandon Royval taking on Matt Schnell. You know, hopefully Matt Schnell can get some fucking fights as he was supposed to fight uh, the same guy multiple times. Couldn't make weight. They never did it. Um, but now he gets a, a stiff opponent in Brandon Royval. It's going to be a great fight. Uh, Jeff Molina taking on Zalgas Zumagalov, who just fought. That's going to be a fun one. Um, elsewhere, Misha Tate won Celebrity Big Brother. I actually watched Big Brother. I know, I know. Um, but, you know, they announced who the celebrities was. I didn't really know a lot of them. Was like, man, Misha Tate's going to run through this place, and she did. So props to her as a UFC fighter who doesn't make a ton of money. She gets $250,000, quarter of a milli, winning this show. Uh, but it showed her worried about weight, nutrition, practicing in this house that you're locked away, no phone, no connections, no nothing. And she ended up losing her, her you know, fight that she had fought, that she was training for in the show. And it made me think that some of that pull away from her advantage in the fight. You know, she looked like in great shape. She's great mentally. But, you know, did this extra excursion while preparing her for a fight pull away from the fight? And that's why she took the L. Who knows? But she wins $250,000. You got to love it. You got to root for the fighters. And then we had BKFC this past week. I did not break it down uh, because I don't watch a ton of BKFC. I'm trying to get into it more. Uh, but one of the guys that I've always enjoyed, Chad Money Mendez, uh, was part of this. He had a nasty uh, TKO in round four. He talked about the differences. He talked about how hard it was for his wife to even approve of this. So he has to determine his MMA future. You know, is he going to keep with BKFC? Is he going to go to the UFC? But he said he got paid more than any UFC fight in this BKFC fight. So bravo to him. And then another fight of note was... Let's see, where is it on here? Well, Mike Perry fought Julian something, but it's not shown on this article that I just clicked on. Gustavo... Uh... Anyways, Mike Perry, Mike Perry, not Mike Perry, fought Julian something. I can't remember his name, uh, but he was the guy that was super famous for the let me just let me bang, bro, on the Ultimate Fighter. The guy that went fucking lost his mind. Let me bang, yo, let me bang. So I, I thought that that would be fun. Mike Perry did ended up did end up winning, um, but those were a couple big fights in BKFC this past week, and we also would have uh, Bellator this weekend. And the big fight on this one is um, Paige Van Zandt's husband, Austin Vanderford, taking on Gregardo Masai, uh, who is a legend in Bellator. That's going to be fun. And there's another fight on this card as well. These other promotions, man, hard to... Um, just, just give me the information. <laughs> give me the card. ESPN has Bellator now. Let's click on that. So we got Great Guard Masai, Austin Vanderford. We got. Oh shit, this is going on right now. Sheesh, I did not know that. Oh, it's in Dublin, that's why. Uh, it just started the main card. Uh, they actually had some results. See if there's anyone that's of note. No, not really. I thought there was another big fight on this card. 
I don't see one though. So that's that's the big headliner right there, right there for you. Um, that's going to be a, a a fun fight though. I'm going to tune into that now that I know that that's happening soon, right after this podcast. Uh, but we got Bellator this weekend, 275. Um, can Austin, who is undefeated, take the the legend Bellator legend down? Tune in to find out. Well, let's talk about what I know a lot more of, and that is UFC. We had UFC this past weekend. Some fights that I did not break down. Mario Batista, a guy at the um, um, MMA Academy, trains with a lot of good bantamweights, getting a win in the prelims. Love to see it. Uh, he had a unanimous decision um, and Jonathan Pierce um, in that fight. So I went 4-1 and one in my actual picks from the main card on. I did not dive into any prelims in this card because I didn't know a lot of the fighters. But starting in the main card... Uh, we had Joaquin Buckley with the split decision over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And what a fucking fight this was. This is a hell of a close fight. Uh, you know, I was like, damn, I, you know, what are the judges going to do? Because um, Abdul had some more momentum towards the end of the fight. Um, Buckley was able to get one last takedown that I think kind of the stamp of approval on this fight. Uh, but there's a little bit of everything in this fight. There's big shots. Buckley was, was taking some good control early. There was good footwork. There was wrestling, well-rounded fight. And when you look at these fighters, they're in completely different places in their career. But I think this was a huge win for Buckley as he has also um, built, you know, really in the era of online brands, social media following, it's really big for the UFC and how you could determine fighter pay, how you can build yourself outside of the promotion. And not only did Buckley win, but he had internet sensation Del Brown in his corner, which was hilarious, kind of blew up the internet. Uh, the guy that was doing the self-defense trainings that completely are not, uh, you know, self-defense. Um, so not only did he break the bank, get a win, um, tough, tough, tough win against a tough fighter, but he also helped his brand having Del Brown in his corner. So bravo, uh, Joaquin Buckley. In this fight, statistically, Buckley landed 57 total and 51 significant strikes with five takedowns compared to Abdul's 55 total, 46 significant, and three takedowns. Now, Buckley is on a two-fight winning streak and has won four of his last five fights, while Abdul starts a new losing streak and has lost four of his last fights. So who's next for these guys? I could see Buckley taking on Gerald Mearshart or Kyle Dacus, who just won on this card and we'll talk about. And for Abdul, a fight against Puna Soriano, who needs to get back on track. Or Jung Young Park, those would be good fights. Either way, tough division, lots of lots of good scraps. Excited for what these guys have in store. And then the fucking vet, the one fight I knew I should not have picked against him, but I fucking did. Jim Miller with the second round knockout over Nicholas Moda, and Jim's just not going away. You know, this was a durable, well-rounded vet performance. And Jim wasn't going to let the young bull come in making a UFC debut control the fight. He was aggressive. He pushed forward right out the gate. And Moto looked like the the debut nerves got to him. You know, he looked lost. He was stone-footed. He did not look very comfortable in there. Again, I knew I should have stuck with Jim. He is quite older. I thought he would start declining, and this young kid does have some talent. Um, But statistically, Jim landed 49 total and 48 significant strikes with the knockdown compared to Nicholas's 21 total and significant at 38 years old. 
Fucking Jim Miller is on a roll. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. And Nicholas starts his young, early UFC career with an L. So what's next? I can see Nicholas taking on Joaquim Silva or Euros Medic. And for Jim, how about Grant Dawson or Renato Carniero? Um, he said that he's just going to keep on fucking battling down. You never know. He might make it to UFC um, well, 200 or no, 300. He, he, he's ready to keep going. He feels good. He, he's enjoying the sport. So um, I might have to put him on the vet that just abuses age things like Andre Arlovsky, Glover Teixeira. The guys that usually at that age completely fall off the cliff, but they're Randy Katernit. They're better with age. It's like fine wine. And then for the big dogs, we had Parker Porter with the unanimous decision over Alan Badeau. And this went down as exactly as I had discussed on the last podcast. Parker made this messy. He was dirty boxing. And he grinded Alan out throughout the fight. When we look at the stats, Parker landed 82 total and 43 significant strikes with two takedowns compared to Allen's 61 total and 55 significant. Parker is now on a three-fight winning streak uh, with a fight per year. Allen has lost two in a row, also had a no contest in there. So not as not as good of a, a resume recent of recent. Uh, but next for these guys, I can see Parker taking on someone like Jake Collier or Justin Taffa, some more big boys. And for Allen, if he is still with the UFC, Maybe Josh Parisian or Chase Sherman, who are in some bad ruts as well that need to get momentum back. And for the co-main, we had Kyle Dawkins with the first round submission over Jamie Pickett. And no disrespect, you can never disrespect these warriors that take foot in the octagon. Uh, but I figured this would be slight work for Kyle, as he looked as good as he'd ever been against Kevin Holland. And I feel like that's just an upper level competitor. So statistically, it only took Kyle 19 total shots, six significant, but he did have three two, three takedowns. He wanted to get this to the ground. Jamie Pickett's got some power. He had two submission attempts and got the finish, uh, while Pickett only landed five total and significant strikes. So Kyle now, after the no contest with Holland, starts a new winning streak, and uh, he's also had a loss to Phil Haas of recent, so he's fought some some dogs. Uh, but Jamie starts a new losing streak after a two-fight losing streak comes to an end. But what's next? I could see Kyle taking on Julian Marquez or Gerald Mirchart as well. Both would be great fights. And for Jamie, he could take on tough alum Treshawn Gore, who just lost to Brian Battle, or Andreas Michalaitis. What a name. What a tough motherfucker as well. Those would be great fights. And then the main event, again, just like I had thought it would go. Jamal Hill with the first round knockout over Johnny Walker. You know, looking at this, Johnny is so fucking good with his reach. He's long. He's lanky. He's got the advantage. And he was mixing in good shots as well as head kicks. And Jamal wasn't very good at blocking him. He took one with just one arm, straight head kick, and he had a huge welt right here. Looked nasty. Probably did not feel good. Uh, but it was fine. He ate them and continued to move forward, which is not an easy thing to do. You got to be a tough motherfucker. And he nailed them with a shot on the fucking forehead, which resulted in one of the crazier knockouts, like the stiff leg, eyes back, terrible fall. You saw the image afterwards. And Jamal said, I hate that people take these shots. You know, they, you know, they, they clown on these fighters. You don't know what it's like to be in here. And I get that. 
but it's the internet. That's what's going to happen. Just tune it out, right? Don't look at the comments. Don't look at the images. Just move on, move forward. It's part of the fight game as well, too. There's going to be images, win or loss. It is what it is. But he got the KO finish. Sweet dreams literally put Johnny Walker to sweet dreams. Not a lot of strikes in this one as it landed or ended pretty early. Uh, Hill landed seven total and six significant strikes. He was filling out Johnny, taking the shots, trying to figure out how to get in and was able to time one to perfection. I guess I, could, I can't say perfection because no one's really aiming for that that part. But hey, he found the shot and he put him to fucking night to sleep. Um, while Johnny had 12 total and significant strikes. So these guys are ranked. They basically swap spots. Jamal now is on a two-fight winning streak and moves up two spots to number 10, while Johnny has lost two in a row and four of his last five from a very promising prospect. But he is young. He's only 29, and he's taking on some tough sons of bitches. Um, he moves down two spots to number 12. So what's next for these guys? I can see Hill taking on Anthony Smith or Paula Costa now that he's got to fight in light heavyweight. And for Walker, I could see Jimmy Crew or Jan Kutalaba. Regardless, those two guys, any of those fights, fucking bangers, main event-like fights, I'm tuning in. So this weekend, manana, we got a fight night card with the prelims starting at 1 p.m. on the West Coast in Pacific time and the main card at 4 p.m. Uh, Michael Gilmore from The Ultimate Fighter is fighting. I didn't think too highly of him, but the UFC is letting him fight, so they must think of him in some regard, but I always like tracking the, t the ultimate fighter guys. He's going to be fighting. Won't break down his fight, but we'll start in the prelims with Jonathan, the dragon Martinez, 27 years old with a 14 and four record taking on Alejandro turbo Perez, 32 years old with a 23, eight and one record. Now, Jonathan is a blue belt in BJJ. Seven of his 14 wins are via knockout. And five of 14 are via submission. So he's had quite a few submissions and knockouts, well-rounded. But 12 of those 14, you add that up, 7 plus 5 equals 12. 12 of his 14 fights were finishes, so he ain't going to the judge's decision. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-2 and two since 2020. So he's, you know, he's, he's had his ebbs and flows. Uh, in this fight, he does have a 3-inch reach advantage. Meanwhile, Alejandro trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He won Tough Latin America. He's on a one-fight winning streak. And he's had two years off with COVID and some issues. But nine of his 22 wins are via knockout. I think Jonathan's just more well-rounded. This is an evenly fought match. It's going to be a fun fight in the prelims. I'll be shredding. I won't catch it. But the nice thing about ESPN Plus is you could watch the cards later, so I won't look at the results. Post shred sesh, watch some fights, go to sleep, shred again the next day. You already know. But I'm going to take Jonathan. If I was putting a parlay down, I'd put him on that parlay, and I'd say, hey, we getting that bread. Next up, we have Terrence T-Rex McKinney, the 27-year-old fighter with an 11-3 record, taking on Fares the Smile Killer ZM. 24 years old with a 12 and three record. Now this fight was supposed to happen in November, but here we are in February, almost March. And this is another fucking very evenly, like very even bout in my opinion. 
Terrence, he's on a four-fight winning streak. One of them are in the UFC. The others were in the LFA. And five of his 11 wins are via knockout. Ferris, he trains out of Sanford MMA. Straight fucking dogs there. Like, straight killers there. He is on a two-fight winning streak. And five of his 12 wins are via knockout. Plus, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. I do like Terrence. I think Ferris has got a little bit uh, better competition lately. Plus, I don't know, training in Sanford at 24 years old with the resume and the 12-3 and three record. I'm going to go with Ferris. If I'm putting a parlay down, I'm avoiding this fight at all costs. But this is going to be a fun fight. I'm taking the smile killer um, early on in the prelims. And then some more young guys in the prelims. We have Zhu Rong, who's only 21 years old, but boasts an 18-4 and four record. 21 years old, he's fucking shredded, 18-4. and four. Like, dude, at 21 years old, I had graduated college and, like, blacking out, trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. So, bravo, Zhu Rong. Uh, but he's taking on Ignacio La Juala Bahamandez, the 24-year-old fighter with a 12-4 and record. And I have no idea if I got that right. Probably butchered it. Uh, but Zoo's on a one-fight winning streak. I like to talk about this guy because I'm tracking him. He's 21 years old. Um, he's a young stud that I think has a lot of potential. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. And 12 of his 19 wins are via knockout. He holds some serious power. Ignacio is also on a one-fight winning streak. He's 2-1 and one in the UFC, and 9 of his 12 wins are via knockout. He does have a 4.5-inch reach advantage in this fight, but I'm going to go to the power and aggressiveness of the young, the young dog. I'm taking Zhu Rong. If I had a parlay in, I'd put him down. I'd, I'd, I'd confirm it and be making that bread. But let's move to the main card. We have Armin Superman Petrosian, the 35-year-old fighter with a 1-0 record, taking on Gregory Robocop Rodriguez, who's 30 years old with an 11-3 record. Now, poor Armin is making his UFC debut. He has a kickboxing and Muay Thai background where he was a champion in both different art form. And he didn't do very good coming into the UFC at one championship. He was 0-3, which how he got to the UFC with an 0-3-1 championship record, I'm very confused about. And he's taking on a very good RoboCop Rodriguez, man. I remember watching this guy once I started the podcast, breaking down fights further. The first time I had known of him, where he was making his UFC debut, he's older, he's fucking shredded. And you see guys like that, and you usually see him gas out, tire. But he's shown that he could do a lot. He's shown that he is well-rounded. When we look at Mr. RoboCop, he's on a four-fight winning streak. He was a Dana, Dana White Contender Series alum. Even though he didn't win the Contender Series and didn't get a contract, he got a, four, a few more wins in the LFA, went to fucking work, got his contract, and he's been active, man. He's had four fights and two grappling matches since 2021. This motherfucker's ready to get some shit going. He's improving his craft. Not many people have four fights in a year, let alone like, yo, let me grapple, let me do better. He has a four-inch reach advantage, and five of his 11 wins are via knockout. Like I said, I'm surprised Armin's even taking the, getting this fight. Uh, maybe someone pulled out. I'm not sure. But Gregory has looked great in his young UFC career. And I don't see how someone who hasn't done well in one championship coming to the UFC and taking this guy down. I'm putting Gregory confidently in a parlay, marking that ish down, and getting that bread. 
And then moving on, this is going to be a hell of a fight as well. We have Armin. Oh, Jesus. His nickname. Ahal Kaleket Sukarian. The 25-year-old with a 16-2 record. And he boasts a rec ranked record number 13 next to his name. Taking on Joel El Phenomeno Alvarez, 28 years old with a 19-2 record. Armin is a master of sport, MMA, and wrestling. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and his only loss in the UFC is against Islam Makachev. So, hey, not, not a bad loss. Uh, six of his 17 wins are via, knock, uh, via knockout. Meanwhile, Joel, 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 is also on a four-fight winning streak. 16 of his 19 wins are via submission. He has a four-and-a-half reach advantage. And he has struggled to make weight in this class. So we have to keep an eye on that. I did pull this up earlier. I believe he made weight. Because it's Friday. Usually I'm not doing podcasts on Friday. But we did. I just want to double check. The only one that missed weight was Zhu Rong. Rong Zhu. And he was quite a bit off. He's at 160. He's supposed to be 155. But Joel made weight. So bravo, he's taking this shit seriously. He's got a big dog. He's got a ranking. He said, all right, I'm going to figure it out. Um, this is going to be a great fight. This is another one I would avoid in a parlay situation. But I like the competition Joel has faced more. And I believe he's more well-rounded. So I'm taking the underdog here. I'm taking Alvarez, El Phenomeno. I'm putting him on my parlay. No, I'm not. It's too, it's, I'm not that confident. But I'm putting him on business and buckets picks. And we're gonna get we're gonna see if I'm right or wrong. And then we have Misha Serkinov, the 34-year-old fighter with the 15 and 7 record, taking on Wellington, the prodigy Terman, who's 25 years old with a 17 and 5 record. Now Misha trains out of extreme couture. He's a black belt in BJJ. He looks like a fucking assassin. He's shredded. Uh, but he has lost three of his last four and has lost two in a row. Eight of his 15 wins are via submission. And in this fight, he does have a nice five-inch reach advantage. While the younger Wellington has a black belt in BJJ, he trains out of Tashira MMA. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and seven of his 17 wins are via submission. Now, Misha really needs to get back into the win column here. He's taking on the younger fighter that's making a name for himself and hasn't done very good against higher-level competition. So in the parlay world, I would take Misha, I would mark him down, and I would get that bread. And then the main event. The Vegas odds are minus 900 Islam, so I would not even put him in the parlay, even though I'm confident because it'd ruin your odds. But we have Islam Makachev, the 30-year-old fighter with a 20-1 record with the number four next to his name, taking on Bobby King Green, 35 years old with the 29 and 12 record. Now, Islam has a Sambo background and is a master of sport. He trains out of Eagles MMA. He's on a nine-fight winning streak. Ten of his 21 wins are via knockout. And he is 3-0 the past year, calendar year. Green is a blue belt in BJJ. He was a strike force champion. He is on a two-fight winning streak, and 10 of his 29 wins are via knockout. Again, though, Islam is a minus 900 for a reason. 
again, you can't be harsh on these guys. All due respect, he saved this card. Fucking bravo. But as the analyst, you want my decisions or my guesses is what I'm saying. I don't want to be harsh on Bobby and doesn't want, I don't want to say he doesn't have a chance because he's going to go down swinging. But I was really excited for the Dariush fight um, to take on this Islam challenge. But I think Islam's going to charge Bobby, go straight for the kill, and, and, and not let Bobby get comfortable in there. So I do think uh, Islam's going to win. Which sets us up for UFC 272 next Saturday. A massive card for 2022, starting the year off right. Headlined with the beef of Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal in Vegas. A very deep card. I'm excited to break that down. Um, I called Emerald Queen Casino today to see if they'll do pay-per-view fights. They said they're in negotiations right now, trying to get it done for March. So hopefully that's the case. I could tune into the sports book. Nice little venue. That'd be a blast. But let's talk some hoops. We have the NBA cranking, grinding, post-All-Star break. Shit's getting serious now. And for the Knicks, Kemba and the Knicks agreed to sit out the rest of the year. Uh, just not happening. Uh, brutal for Kemba. I feel like he's been distreated since he left Charlotte. Um, the guy can still hoop. It's just a bummer to see. Tristan Thompson signing with the Bulls after being waived by the Pacers so they could add some big man depth. Obi Toppin wins the dunk contest, and Carl Anthony Towns wins the three-point contest. I did not watch these, did not even watch the highlights, which is very rare. I did watch Shaq in a full and saw that um, there was hella missed dunks, and I thought that was pretty hilarious. So um, if that tells you anything, that's all you need to know. CP3 is out six to eight weeks with a hamstring injury. Brutal news for the Suns, but the first game back, they were able to win without him. Devin Booker, let's see what he's all about. They are in the one seed easily in the West, so I, I think they'll be okay. They just need CP3 to be healthy. But CP3 played a few minutes in the All-Star game, which made no sense to me, so I'm a little confused on what's going on. Karis LeVert is out one to two weeks. Um, new team getting hurt. Not a long time, but still tough for him. You know, having the heart issues or lung issues and everything else. For the Nets, good news. Kyrie Irving might be able to play full-time as different things are changing with the vaccine mandates, so he might be able to play at home without the vaccine. The Nets do sign Goran Dragic, the heavily coveted guy, after his buyout. Good depth, good veteran leadership. He could still hoop. And the Nuggets to sign Boogie Cousins for the rest of the season, which is awesome to see that he gets that opportunity. Looking at the standings, the Bulls are one in the East, the Heat a half a game back, just byproduct of playing less games. The Sixers right there and Bucks at three and four. The Cavs right there at five, Boston six. And there's only four and a half games of separation, five and a half from the seventh ranked Raptors. The Nets, Hornets, and Hawks are all in the play-in right now. The Wizards are a half game back, the Knicks three back. The Knicks can't even get into the play-in. Come on now, man. Come on, man. And they're not letting Kemba play. Like, what the F? In the West, typical top four, Suns, Warriors, Grizz, Jazz. The Grizz had an injury scare with John Morant the other night, but he seems to be okay. He finished the game. Uh, then you got the Mavericks a few games back in Nuggets. Playing, you have T-Wolves, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers. This play-in shit's going to be crazy. Because although teams like the Clippers and the Lakers, unless Kawhi comes back and AD is completely healthy or whatever, 
seem to be not that good of a team, why the fuck would you want to play them in the first round? You still got to deal with LeBron James. You get my fucking point. Imagine the Nets in a playing game. Absolutely not, especially if KD's back. When it comes to games and action that's happened, there isn't a lot. On Thursday, the Heat beat the Hornets uh, on the 17th Thursday, the 17th before All-Star break, 111-107. Kyle Lowry at 25-9-5. They love to have him back on the lineup. He's a huge piece for them. Uh, Miles Bridges, 29-11 for the Hornets. And the 76ers beating the Bucks on the road, 123-120. Joel Embiid after the clunker, put up 42-14-5. And, and for the Bucks, the Greek Freak led the team 32-11-9. Two big guys going at it. Then there was the All-Star break. There was no action until last night, um, Thursday night, the first week back. The Celtics beating the Nets on the road. Obviously, no KD still. Um, no uh, Ben Simmons. Jason Tatum had 30.7 rebounds and four assists. Seth Curry with 22-7. and seven. Uh, The Bulls beat the Hawks 112-108. DeMar DeRozan is fucking snapping. He had 37-6. and six. Bojan Bogdanovic leading the Hawks with 27-5. and five. My friend just says, like, I'm trying to come over. It's like, nah, I'm filling the fucking pod, baby. Listen to this. The last eight games, DeMar, 45, 9, and 7, 38, 5, and 4, 36, 5, and 4, 35, 6, and 6, 38, 6, and 5, 40, 3, and 7, 38, 6, and 6, 37, 6, and 3. Worst game, 59% from the field. Actually, he had 50% from the field one night. But most games, 60% from the field or better. Can we please give this guy an MVP? All the shit he's had to deal with. I love to see it. DeMar. DeRozan, baby. And the Bulls are one in the East. 2022. War. DeMar DeRozan. What the fuck? No one knows what's going on. And then we had the Warriors beat the Blazers on the road by a handful last night. So bad that Steph Curry only needed 18 points and 14 assists to get the win. Anthony Simons did his best with 24 points. Preview in the weekend, we have Raptors Hornets tonight. My Jazz back in action against the Mavs. Lakers Clippers on ESPN. The Timberwolves trying to stay relevant. Let's see how they can do at home against the Sixers on Saturday. Nets Bucks could be interesting. The Nets aren't close to a full team. Big game for the Jazz on Sunday in Phoenix without Chris Paul. Gotta prove yourself. Mavericks Warriors as well on Sunday. Monday, Bulls Heat, Raptors Nets, Spurs Grizz, Hornets Bucks on NBA TV. Nets Raptors on Tuesday, Hawks Celtics, Mavericks Lakers. And then Wednesday, I should have the pot up by then. Heat Bucks on Wednesday, Blazers Suns. A little bit of action. But before we switch to college hoops, let's talk about an East and West team. Keep the train going. Starting in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks obviously have been without Brooke Lopez, and it looks like he's not going to be back anytime soon. He is starting to practice a little bit, little par- they call it practice portions, whatever that means, uh, but he will only probably be showing up by playoff time. Uh, brutal pick for me in fantasy playoffs, but that does not matter. Uh, Grayson Allen and DeAndre Bembry day-to-day. George Hill you know, seems to always consistently be battling injuries, and Pat Connaughton, had to deal with that fractured fourth metacarpal in his hand. I expect to be sidelined damn near until playoffs. So 
They are battling some injuries, but again, in the standings, they're right there. I wouldn't expect them to slip too much. Um, they're tied with the Sixers at three and four. You don't want to pass five, six. The East is so tight, you never know. But the Bucks still do have talent. Obviously, they got Drew Holiday still. You got to love you some Drew. He's averaging 18 points per game. When we look at how that compares to on a, on a career basis, he's had two bet- or three better seasons, all with the Pelicans at 19 points, 21 points, and 19 points. But he only averaged 17.7 last year, so it's a bigger year. So he's had to put more you know, scoring on his plate as there's been some in and out issues with injuries. Um, Chris Middleton, the second-hand man, he's averaging 19.4 points per game, uh, which is a little bit down from previous years where he's averaged 20. Uh, but he's still playing some ball. He's da- battled with injuries himself. And the Greek Freak, 29.4 points per game, which is second in the league. He has a 32.36 PER or PER. Um, he's averaging career highs, 29.4 points per game, uh, 11.2 rebounds. He's only had a couple years better there. And he's shooting 30.9% from three and 54% from the field. So he's, you know, he's been asked to do a lot, but he's performing. And Bobby Portis without Brooke Lopez averaging 15.3 points per game, which is arms and legs above his career high of 11 the year before, but he hasn't done better since 14 points per game in Chicago in the 18-19 season. Depth is kind of messy. George Hill, Wesley Matthews, definitely more of, and DeAndre Bembry of the vet type. Uh, Javon Carter, a nice little young guard from West Virginia. He's scrappy. He can play some minutes. Um, getting rid of Dante DiVincenzo was big, but Jordan Nora, he's averaging six or 8.3 points per game. The young Louisville stud is going to be a big, big point of interest for them in the playoffs. And they added Serge Ibaka. We'll see what he can do as he gets more acquainted with the Bucks lineup. When I think Bucks potential, I think an Eastern Conference potential. I don't see them winning the championship. But then again, unless the 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 Nets with KD and healthy, the East is so wide open. Could the Bucks without a healthy roster and and kind of a you know, half-assed roster still coming to the East? I do, but I would put Miami ahead of them. I don't really know how I feel about Chicago yet, but I would put the Sixers ahead of them as well. And then in the West, we got the Suns, the team that's in first place. Obviously, they're without Chris Paul. Cameron Payne's dealing with a little bit of an injury. He should be back soon. Uh, Frank Kaminsky went uh, for knee surgery, so he's out for the year. And Dario Saric had a, a torn ACL. So they're without Kaminsky and Saric, which is some depth uh, and some help. Uh, but Chris Paul should be back come playoff time, and Cameron Payne should be back soon. When we look at their body of work, uh, they added Aaron Holiday. They have Cameron Payne and Alfred Payton to fix in and Landry Shamit some point guard duties while Chris Paul's out. But really, Devin Booker is playing point guard in the meantime. He snapped in the first game without Chris Paul. He's averaging 25.5 points per game, um, which is right around his career average the past few years. He's done as good as 26.6 in 1819 in the 1920 season. Um, when we look at his percentages, he's shooting 36.8% from three, which is um, higher, the highest he's had since 2017, 2018, where he shot a lot less. And he is shooting 44% from the field, which is quite low compared to normal, but the demand is higher for them. Um, he's still a walking bucket, not to, to knock him, um, but, uh, you know, percentages can only get better. Mikel Bridges, another Nova Nation representative. 
Uh, he's hooping, hooping, man. He's got a um, 13.5 points per game, 4.4 rebounds, 2.2 assists. He is only 25 years old. His numbers are pretty similar to last year, but he has a role on the team and he sticks to it. He does what he needs to do. Uh, they have Torrey Craig back, which will help with some depth. JaVel McGee is a big guy. They, they have Bismarck Biombo. Um, but the guards will be in and out. I thought losing some of the people that they did at the trade deadline was a little bit of questionable moves for me, like Jalen Smith. But you still have Jay Crowder. He's averaging nine points per game, 5.3 rebounds, which are low compared to the past few years. Uh, he's obviously getting older. But really, it's going to evolve around DeAndre Ayton, right? This is the guy that was the number one overall pick. He's only 23 years old. He's averaging 16.2 points per game and 10.2 uh, rebounds, which, uh, you know, I want to say are great. He's averaged higher in previous seasons, but they're so far ahead in the West, you know, it's all going to come down to crunch time. Do I think the Suns have a real chance at winning the NBA championship in the West? Potentially, am I betting on them? No, I'm not. But uh, this is such a wide open year in the NBA. Anything can happen. It's going to be, you know, to me, all it's going to come down to is matchups and health. And as long as Chris Paul is healthy, fully healthy, by the playoffs, they'll be okay. Without them, they're going to really struggle. So let's talk college basketball, man. What a scene it was with Michigan and Wisconsin as Jawan Howard gets suspended for the, the rest of the year. Three players get one game suspension and Jawan gets a 40K fine. Um, was it unacceptable? Absolutely. Were the headlines blowing this out of proportion? Absolutely. Um, reading the headline when I was skiing, it was like, oh shit, like this was a straight out brawl. That was not the case. You know, you're, you're supposed to be a leader. I know you're an ex player. I know you have a lot of emotions going on, but you cannot let that happen, especially in the world that we live in today. As a coach, you should know that. He does get penalized. I'm. You know, in the world that we live in today, I wasn't surprised if he got fired. Uh, but that might be an off-season discussion. Um, but Michigan definitely struggling right now. When we look at the rankings, my overrated, underrated, I don't mind the rankings right now. I do still think Arizona, although they're 24-2, and call me a hater, call me what you want, they are overrated. I think they're a top 10 team, top 15 team, but number two, I, I would take Auburn, Purdue, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Nova, Texas Tech, Baylor, Providence, UCLA, and Wisconsin all ahead of them in a head-to-head -head matchup. But we'll see. We'll see if I'm proven or right or wrong come tournament time. Uh, see if they get out of the Pac-12 tournament, which they should. Uh, I do think Houston at 14 is a little overrated. USC at 16. Arkansas at 18. Murray State at 19. St. Mary's at 23. I think there's just better teams that could be in there. Um, you know, Wyo, we were giving them some shouts. Rutgers has had some big wins. Uh, Davidson, South Dakota State, LSU potentially, Colorado State, Xavier. I mean, there's other teams that I'd put in there. And underrated, I just have UConn and Duke. I think Duke's better than their seventh ranking, and I think UConn's better than their 21. Um, they're only getting better as the season progresses, and the potential for Duke is just so fucking high. Um, they haven't played their best ball. I think their best ball is ahead of them. Well, let's talk what's happened since the last pod. If there's anything of note on Thursday, there was not Friday, a bunch of ugly games Saturday, Auburn losing to Florida on the road, 63 to 62. This came down to the wire. Uh, Jabari Smith had 28 points on 16 shots. He was four of five from three, 
had seven rebounds, so he did the damn thing. Um, but Florida shot 40% from three, which in college is pretty crazy. Um, and Tyree Appleby had 26 points for Florida to take the win. It's not easy winning in the SEC this year. Arizona escaped Oregon, uh, 84-81. Um, Mathurin had 24-7-5 as Arizona keeps cruising. Oregon was up most of the game. Kentucky, uh, fourth-ranked Kentucky at the time, beats 25th-ranked Alabama by nine. Uh, Tashibui had 21-14 and 14 to lead Kentucky. Texas Tech beat Texas pretty handily there, 11th-ranked at the time, Texas 20th. Williams for Texas Tech had 17-6, and six, while Andrew Jones had 20 points for Texas in defeat. Uh, Illinois beat Michigan State. They were 12th ranked. Michigan State 19th, 79-74. Um, let's see, was it with the big guy? Kofi Coburn had 27-9. and nine. He really controlled the game. They also had a big performance uh, by Jacob Grandison, who had 24 points. And Michigan State didn't play very well, but Tyson Walker snapped for 26 off the bench, but it wasn't enough for the Spartans. Tennessee lost to Arkansas, um, Arkansas 23rd ranked, Tennessee 16, 58 to 48. Um, Arkansas had a well-rounded game. No one really snapped. Everyone did their part. They didn't shoot very good. I mean, Tennessee shot 27% from the field, 16% from three. There wasn't really any standout performances. This is just a yucky, yucky SEC game. Iowa had upset 18th-ranked Ohio State, 75-62. Iowa was led by Keegan Murray, their sophomore, who had 24 points. Ohio State, EJ Liddell only had 15 points on 13 shots. And the young stud, Malachi Branham, had 22 points and 8 rebounds, but it wasn't enough for the Buckeyes as they suffer a tough loss at home. UConn beat Xavier pretty handily. The big man, Sanago, with 15-9 and nine for the Huskies. Cruising into Sunday, uh, Houston barely surviving Wichita State in double overtime. They were led by their big guy, Josh Carlton, who had 23-11 and 11 on the road. Big win for Houston on the road. Heading into this past week on Monday... Baylor barely escaping Oklahoma State. Flager had 29 points to lead the Bears. And then to Tuesday, Villanova... Oh my God, this fucking game. Villanova lost to UConn on the road, but they gave Connor Gillespie a no call at the end of the game, which I thought was completely bullshit. Um, they were down one at the time. He gets you know the opportunity to make two of those to take the lead with less than, what, two seconds left. Um, so I thought they got robbed, but, you know, that's me. I'm a Nova fan also. Uh, Gillespie had 17 points. The big man, Sanago, with 20-6 and six in the win. But big win for the uh, for the Huskies at home. And then Wednesday. Providence surviving Xavier in triple overtime at home. Scruggs for Xavier tried his best in a late effort with 19 points. But Bynum put up 27-6 and six for Providence, the super senior team. Wisconsin barely escapes Minnesota on the road, 68-67. to 67. Um, Johnny Davis only had 12 points. Davidson only had 7. They, were, they had to have other players step up, 
and they were led by Stephen Crowell, who had 20 points for Wisconsin, but they found a way to win on a bad shooting night. And then yesterday, UCLA losing to Oregon on the road. UCLA in a little bit of a rough patch. They lose 68-63. to uh, Johnny Juzang only had seven points on six shots. Uh, Jaquez Jr. had 10 points on nine shots. They only shot 16% from three. The Ducks shot 33% from three and had a well-rounded uh, team performance to take the victory. And then Ohio State getting back on track, beating Illinois on the road, 86-83. EJ Liddell with a nice line, 21 points. Um, the young Mikael Branham with 31 points on 14 shots. Dominated this game. He was really the game changer. Kofi Coburn only 12 points on 15 shots. How that happens as a big man, I'm not too sure. And then they had their reliable Alfonso Plummer with 26 points in the defeat at home. But Ohio State was just too much. USC survives a road game in double overtime against Oregon State. Uh, that was a crazy game as Oregon State's Deshaun Davis put up 31 points, 7 assists in the defeat. Heading into this weekend on Saturday, we got some games. Arkansas hosting uh, Kentucky. Tennessee hosting Auburn and some SEC action. Baylor uh, hosting Kansas. St. Mary's and Gonzaga. St. Mary's should handle them, but you never know. Those games can be close sometimes. Heading into next week, we have Texas hosting Baylor. Villanova and Providence again this time at the Pavilion. Wisconsin hosting Purdue and USC hosting Arizona before the next pod. So we got some action coming up. Um... Only two more weeks until we get the selection Sunday. And I'll be on IG Live breaking that ish down. Something that's a little bit easier to break down is I am getting smoked. My favorite writer is having a tough year. Round seven of Supercross in Minneapolis. The story in the 250 class for the East Riders was Jet Lawrence. Jet motherfucking Lawrence taking the whole shot. Taking the whole shot on the season for the East. He finishes with the first place, Austin Fortner second, and Cameron McAdoo third. And much like the West Riders, this ranking might honestly be the ranking of the best riders, and it's clearly cream of the crop of these top three riders. So obviously in points, Jets first with 26, Fortner second with 23, McAdoo third with 21. In the 450, Jason Anderson is hot and rolling on that Kawasaki. Cooper Webb finally getting back on the podium after a tough start to the season as the defending champion. And Eli Tomac having a big wreck, somehow battling his way really far back into this race. And then KTM rocking two people on the podium podium with Marvin Muscan with the bronze. And then Malcolm Stewart and Justin Barsha consistently racing, staying in the points race. But we also had a very tough wreck by Chase Sexton, the young stud, Nasty wreck. It looks like he's going to be okay. And this was Vince Freese's first race for the 450 coming up from 250, and he performed really well, finishing 12th out of 22 riders. So in the 450, we had Anderson first, Cooper Webb second, Muskin third, Malcolm Stewart fourth, Justin Barsha fifth, Eli Tomac sixth after a wreck that had him in last. What a finish for him. Aaron Plessinger seventh, uh, Ken Roxon eighth, and Dylan Ferrandez ninth. When we look at points, Eli Tomac still in first with 151. Jason Anderson's only three back at 148. Malcolm Stewart's 17 back of Anderson at 131.
Barsha's three back from Stewart in fourth at 128. Cooper Webb getting right behind Barsha in fifth at 126. Checks Sexton after the wreck, falling down quite a bit at 123 in sixth place. Muskan in seventh at 119 and Roxon at 107. You know, there is a chance, but it looks like the top three guys are running away with it. Uh, top four or five guys, really. Six guys. Aaron Plessinger breaks his arm in practice this week after this race. So it looks like he's going to be out for some time. Tough break for Mr. Plessinger on the new team, new version of himself. But this weekend, we get round eight in Arlington in Cowboys Stadium. Let's see if some racers can change the course of the season. You always got to tune in. We still got lots of races coming down. Can't wait for the Seattle race. Elsewhere in sports, college football expansion on hold for the playoff committee at least until 2026. Bummer news for fans like myself that would like more opportunity. And then the NCAA, the good news here, relaxing the marijuana policy from 35 nanograms per milliliter to 150. So the substance of what's going to you know, break the laws, quote, quote, um, has been raised in marijuana, which is great. Obviously, the Michigan issue with Jawan Howard being suspended, three players suspended and him getting fined. Um, the MLB and the players union meeting every single day seem to be far from progress. But the league has strictly said that if there is nothing done by the 28th, the league will cancel games. And I got season tickets the first year. I'm a little worried about what happens to my games. But I need some fucking baseball. I'm itching for it. I am itching for it. Uh, the natural selection this past weekend had happened in bald face, but they were not doing a live event. They will not show it until March 16th. So we have to wait uh, basically a whole month. But the conditions completely different than it was in Jackson Hole for the first stop. Can't wait to see what happened. They did some new things with dual competition. Looked like a ton of fun. The conditions looked fucking mesmerizing. I wish I could shred in that shit. The Winter Olympics finishing with Norway in first with 16 golds, 8 silvers, 13 bronze. Germany, 12 gold, 10 silver, 5 bronze. And the People's Republic of China in third, 9 gold, 4 silver, 2 bronze. USA off the podium in fourth with 8 gold, 10 silver, 7, seven bronze. And then the, the top 8, we had Sweden 5, Netherlands 8, Austria 7, Switzerland 8. Really just sounds like winter countries anyways, right? Um, for the, uh, USA events, the men's curling lost to Canada for, to, to try and get the bronze. The women's hockey lost to Canada in the big rivalry for the gold three to two. So they finished with the silver, uh, Brittany bow got a bronze in the women's thousand meter free, uh, speed skate. The USA got bronze and the team's, uh, men's team pursuit. And then Aaron Jackson got a gold for the USA in the women's 500 speed skate. So the Winter Olympics are done. Natural Selection still getting some stops. We still got Totorillo coming up as well. But hey, that's it. Episode 71. We're going to start getting basketball heavy, MMA heavy. Um, if we're not already, you know what I mean? But don't forget to check out FueledSupplements.com. Start the year right. Get your subs going. Get your body. Treat it as a temple. And let's kick 2022's ass. See you guys next week.